0: Our identity, you know, in Christ does not change regardless of what happens in technology. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you mentioned, you know, there's going to be streets paved with gold, right? In this new heaven and new earth. And it's like, well, the concept of the street, that wasn't really a thing that existed in the garden, right? Garden was like, there's no streets. So there is some element of technology and creation that like is going to be there. And we obviously can conjure, we can do science fiction, but we won't really know. But what we do know, you know, is our identity is in Christ, right?
1: Hello, and welcome to WWJT. My name is Andrew. I'm a Christian. I'm here with Joel. You're a Christian. Joel, you like AI. You love AI, don't you?
0: Is this true? I (laughs) do. Yes. Actually, my friends probably, I feel isolated, actually, because of how much I love AI. Sometimes they'll start going on about it some show and they'll be like, okay, like enough. enough.
1: Yeah, I think AI is pretty interesting. You find it more interesting than most. I mean, you've you've studied it, you work in it, you've built products that leverage it. I've I've worked at one company that that leveraged AI, but I was far more on the sales side than the product side. And I work in a church now. And to my knowledge, the church doesn't use AI, but maybe we do, because we're not understanding what AI is. So what is AI? How do we define it? How do we think about it?
0: Artificial intelligence is the area of computer science where algorithms um, are creating intelligence. And that has evolved into quite a few different um, eras of technology over the years. But in general, I would say we could describe it as like three buckets, artificial narrow intelligence, which is like solving a specific niche thing, like, you know, being the best chess AI and stuff like that. Artificial general intelligence, which is having the intelligence on par with humanity, and then artificial super intelligence, which is anything after that, where the artificial intelligence is beyond what we, we can comprehend.
1: So when I'm writing an email and I say, talk to you, and then Gmail is like, I know how you want to complete this sentence with later, or even with a message that I get on LinkedIn and, and LinkedIn will give me, oh, here's how you could respond. That would be just narrow AI, right? It's just very focused on a specific use case. That's not human level intelligence.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And there's that's that's mostly where we are today with all the intelligence that you'll see where it's um. Yeah, like knowing what move to play in a chess match or predictive text, like on filling out a text message on your phone um, or deciding if an image is a picture of a cat or a dog, which is like classification uh, example. Those are all, we would say, narrow intelligence that's like building up to general intelligence when, I guess, <laughs> I don't know if this is the official term, but when you stack enough narrow intelligences together, you know, how close do you get to general?
1: Well, and there's that differentiation between whether it enables machine learning or not, Um, So I think that's an important distinction. I was always confused by this. My CEO at the tech company was sick one time. So I had to go to a conference on her behalf and I was on a panel with a bunch of AI experts. And so on my right was this AI expert, like prof at a German university. On my right was um, this CEO of another tech company in Toronto, like of like 250 staff. And then there was a woman and she was like part of a think tank. And so I have all these people who are, Super involved in AI, and I just turn to them and I'm like, "Guys, does anybody have a good definition for AI?" And they all start smiling, smirking, and the the German professor starts laughing because it it it's just like to define it, you you are almost like, well, yeah, like just a calculator isn't a calculator AI? Like it's it's intelligence, it's artificial, right? But I think that the key differentiation from my perspective is when it incorporates machine learning, when it's not just programmed to accomplish a specific goal, but there's some sort of learning that the device itself has done that enables it to make a conclusion, make an answer that is far more complex because of the learning that the device itself has done. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would say that's fair. And it's interesting because even to me, there's a gradient on like what is, well, I think, you know, machine learning is a common term, but learning for a machine could be a little bit ambiguous. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you have a Word file and you save that Word file. So you're saving something into memory and then you open that file later. So you're retrieving that from memory. Um, That act of like saving and retrieving is like a fundamental building block to what we as humans consider learning with memory, you know, in our, our brains. Um, But it's the next step of like, okay, now you can retrieve pieces of information and then put it to action. So the machine learning that you mentioned is retrieving that memory part and then putting it to action or putting it to some sort of postulation.
1: And basically the way that it works is leveraging a neural network of some sort, which is similar to our brains. Like the best AI creators are basically trying to copy how our brain works. How do how does that work, Joel? How do how how does a neural network work?
0: Yeah, so I think this is this is the fundamental thing to get people aligned on. Because when I talk with all people, they don't really understand how neural nets work, which is the latest like deep learning, which is what it's called. It's like the latest breakthrough in artificial intelligence and what everyone's working off of or at least used to in the past few years. So what scientists did is they took the concept of like, well, how does a baby learn, you know, from the moment it's born through its early years up until five? Like, how does a human being learn? Because we learn magic. Such...
1: They learn through magic. It's, <laughs> and it's, I know it's amazing how, how they the, learn.
0: And when the young kids is like, oh my gosh, I never taught my you know son that. How did he learn that? Right. And they like learn almost on their own and that's where that like magic of AI is like inspired from. So one of the most common and concrete examples is like when you're teaching your child how to read a word. and um, the one that was used in a book I read called Algorithms to Live By by Brian Christian and Tom Griwitz. we'll put that in the in the show notes is um the reading of the word Apple. So when you write on a piece of paper, uh, a p p l and then you take your pencil off if you ask most people everyone's just anticipating and expecting me to say e right your brain is primed mm-hmm. to expect that next letter and how that works is if you considered each of those letters a neuron in your mind because over a lifetime we've trained that neural pathway so much that the threshold to trigger the last neuron, E, is reduced. Now, I guess this kind of explains the whole concept of like, what is training a neural net? We have lots of neurons in our brain. And what we do as we grow is we reinforce certain pathways. So when we first learned as a child, this is how you spell apple, we're first making that neural connection. And then as you start to read it, as you start to pronounce it, as you start to associate it with a shape, with an object, those are all adjacent pathways connected to that. And we start developing this contextual awareness. And what happens later on in life is those pathways are a lot easier to trigger. That's how, you know, habits are formed. We're, we're reinforcing mm-hmm. these pathways. So what scientists have done is they've taken that inspiration and they said, well, how do we con- convert that into a mathematical model and then put it into software? So what they do is you create these you know, nodes, neural nodes. And then you put a coefficient in front of it, like, you know, 1, two, point five. the higher coefficient makes it easier to trigger and the low, lower coefficient makes it less easier to trigger when you're, you know, multiplying out this neural string. And that's how they are reinforcing the different nodes in the network to, to learn. So really, we're, yeah, we're modeling it based off of God's creation. Right. Which is, that's like the really cool part where it's like a lot of things we created out of our own wisdom. And this is one of the few times, you know, in combination with a few others that we're saying, like, well, how did God do it? And like, he's the ultimate creator. Like, can we replicate that? Can we like mimic it or at least use it as inspiration? Because, you know, it's even it's more advanced than we even know at this point, but we're learning more and more.
1: That's super helpful. I. I want you to still say e just to complete the apple. I was like, <laughs> imagine if you were like j at the end. Like, it just you would be so frustrated. Like, imagine right. someone writing out a p p l and then they write a j. Like, that would that would cause you turmoil. On the yeah, inside. it creates
0: this like this disconcert, and you're like, that's not what the neuron is, and your brain is having that that position of like, hey, you jumped to this j neuron, but that's not where we're supposed to go. Right, right,
1: so we have all these connections in our brain, these connections between neurons, and it's and so i'm I'm imagining right now all these little dots in my brain that have lines between them and and some dots have multiple like like all the different words that I know all those lines. And 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 it's like, we have more than just like a hundred neurons. We have more than a thousand. We have more than a million. We have more than a billion. We have 86 billion neurons. I looked it up, Joel. I I double checked. (laughs) That's what the the Google result was that interestingly enough, when you see a Google result, that's based around AI (laughs) because because Google is leveraging AI to use all the data that it has. Um, And that's an interesting part of this too, because AI is only as good as the um, data that goes into it, which which creates some bias sometimes. So one of the things that has been discussed in the medical field is that so much of the research around human bodies was done on men. And because yeah. of that, it was kind of assumed, well, women will be like this too. We know they're different, but like, let's just use this data that we have from research on males in order to incorporate that on medical recommendations for women as well. And that data is just not as precise. So you need to have good data to put into the AI in order to make good recommendations. Um, And that's, you know, you have a lot of hiring software. This is more my focus where the hiring software was like, let's take a resume and look at the resume and look at all the hiring decisions that X company has made over the past five years. They've hired, you know, 20,000 people. Here are the resumes. Here's who they've hired. And you know what the AI will put out. This is literally what happened. The AI, this happened at Amazon. The AI said, you know, if you hire people that have saxophone on their resume, they're more likely to uh, be a good worker. It would pick up these weird things, it would also pick up um, certain gendered things as well, and it would—it was a biased algorithm based around biased decisions that sometimes humans made in the past by by leaning more towards, you know, someone who has the extracurriculars of a musical instrument um, that was more inclined to for the individual to get hired. That that should not. Be incorporated into a hiring decision and so this is where we need a human in the loop in my opinion with any ai system to always check it and ethically assess how it is being used and that's my fear with ai going forward i fear there's not enough technologists like you that are are trying to think both biblically and creatively and with innovation um about ai and so it's it's almost like Oh, I just do the tech. I don't think about the ethics, you know. And and I really want us to think better, think more deeply about how we might ensure that AI, you know, is used for good rather than evil. There's lots of good applications of AI already in the medical field. Um, it's one thing that the artificial intelligence. There's an evangelical statement of principles. Um, we had Jason Thacker on a few episodes ago. He's part of the ERLC. Um, basically it's a, a think tank in order to work on, on on any ethical issue, but he's focused in on on the ethics of tech, and so and he's even written a book on the age of AI. And so you have this this statement that evangelical leaders, including you know JD Greer, Matt Chandler, Wayne Grudem, you know a whole bunch of uh, Michael Horton, one of my personal um, theologians that I've learned a lot from, they've all signed this in order to say like here's how we should think about AI. So there are good biblical thinkers on AI, um, but your average pastor is probably not bringing up AI ever unfortunately
0: yeah. and i think i think that you know that's why this is really important because there's there definitely can be a fear about ai especially like in, in the christian world and it's like it's not an unfounded fear you know like there is a real you know potential of negative outcomes super intelligence AI, yeah if ai goes unchecked and i think that's also like in, so in the Christian space, there are some people, you know, thinking about it and being like, how should we, you know, look at biblical texts to inform our thinking? And then in the secular space, there's people thinking about that too, of like, how do we make sure we're not errat- This is not the end of humanity, right? That more out of a self-preservation point of view than like a kingdom point of view. Well, some people, I- they
1: want to they extend it. They want AI to be used It's part of our bodies, part of our way of thinking. In the same way, we use a phone to help us answer a question with Google, like tying that right into our brain with a neural net. Like, that's wild. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, and it's interesting because there's some merit to it. So the concept is like, okay, let's say a bad actor is the one leading the, you know, intelligence or research in AI and they create the super AI. And Mm -hmm. now everyone is basically. At their mercy because that AI is so powerful. And how I maybe could like explain it in maybe another analogy is like, yeah, if someone invented like yeah, the nuclear bomb or even like guns, other countries that don't have that technology are like, if you come in and invade us, we we really can't oppose you. You know, we can try and swarm you and stuff, but that technological advantage is so overpowering. And with AI, it's actually like on another level. It's another magnitude, more powerful. So that's why I think Elon Musk had supported the open AI initiative, where open AI is like, hey, we should democratize AI so that everyone can have AI. So if there is some like rogue AI out there, you know, our AI would be able to match and compete with it and put it in check. And it creates a system of checks and balances. And I think that also like ties into your point of like how people are saying we should interact with AI. And a lot of people are saying like, it should be collaborative. Like this next age is like collaboration with AI machines, with humanity. And it's like leveraging both their skill sets. So like one interesting um, analogy I'll reference happened during the pandemic. There's this um, AI called AlphaFold and it was developed by DeepMind, which is the same um, company that most people are familiar with. They got a lot of rarity by beating humans in video games or like chess or go. Um, but they actually applied that AI to protein folding. And during the epidemic, they identified the exact spike protein using protein folding to say, this is how it looks. Mm-hmm. And then they like provided that to researchers to be like, oh, like, how do we create this vaccine? So we actually used AI to develop this vaccine faster. And they also used AI to determine like, well, based on how it's spreading, do we believe it's an airborne illness? Do we believe it's contact-based illness? And we're using that to inform like government policy. So, you know, like it's already making an impact today and, you know, recently in all of our lives, clearly. Um, And it's only effective when we combine that with the checks and balances of humanity in our context. And at least that's the level we're at right now with AI. Mm -hmm.
1: I'll I'll just state this from Article 2 of the uh, Evangelical Statement of Principles. We deny that the use of AI is morally neutral. It is not worthy of man's hope, worship, or love. Since the Lord Jesus alone can atone for sin and reconcile humanity to its creator, technology such as AI cannot fulfill humanity's ultimate needs we further deny the goodness and benefit of any AI that devalues or degrades the dignity and worth of another human being. So so they speak to the negative. But they also say, we affirm that the adult development of technology is a demonstration of the unique creative abilities of human beings. When AI is employed in accordance with God's moral will, it is an example of man's obedience to the divine command to steward creation and follow and, uh, and honor him. We believe in innovation for the glory of God, for the sake of human flourishing and for the love of neighbor. You know, I, I just think we need to see this, this great opportunity as you've just demonstrated with the example of the vaccine um that you know ai can provide a lot of good so we need people working in it i can't say that i've bought a gun for myself to defend myself from other people who have guns um this is where we need some element of public policy perhaps to protect us against the rise of the machines rise of the whatever like it'll get complicated in the future to be sure um but just because there's you know potential negative outcomes of it doesn't mean that we need to disconnect completely from it i think you have traditions within christianity you think of like the amish community also thinking of uh, some strands of the anabaptist tradition some some strands of the anabaptist tradition uh, were actually pro war at the very beginning and they were involved in but some strands of anabaptists are very anti war pacifist you know andrew wilson in the uk is a popular um Pastor who's defended, you know, um, full pacifism when it comes to conflict or war, and so you you think about you know Christian approaches to it. We we can't fight fire with fire. We fight fire okay. with love. We we fight hate with love. We do not, um, you know, it's there's a passage in, in First Peter about evil used against you. So we can't can't approach it from a combative standpoint, um, mm-hmm. but we should approach it from. You know, a standpoint of God created us to create. We should develop AI, and we should also use it for the love of others, um, and we should use it with biblical principles. Like you were going on a thread earlier, it almost sounded like, does with AI can we create life? Would you be okay with calling AI persons, giving them rights? Like, uh, how do you think that through that? Because you you're on the front end edge of this stuff.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, tapping on the vein of like the foundation of how neural nets work, you know, if we have this being, this artificial intelligence being, who their brains work exactly like ours, and instead of like, you know, like you said, it was 80 something billion neurons, right? In today's world, they do that by using a microchip. But if it's not possible to get to that density without creating some sort of flesh and blood technology that basically replicates the electrical potential in our nervous system because the nervous system works on electricity. You know, if we migrate to that, so now it's like literally the chemistry of our body is similar to this being. Um, And, you know, Elon Musk has this uh, robot that's coming out with that's going to help in factories and like do these tasks and it's going to have that intelligence. So we give it this like physical representation of humanity, which you've seen like a lot of robots look really good. It looks very much like humans, but I would say the one thing it doesn't have, like when God created life, he breathed into us a spirit, right? We, though we are like mimicking all these other things of creation. We are not giving that life into artificial intelligence, at least from like a biblical point of view. So I think, you know, should AI have the right to self-organize, you know, could they create a state in America and be like, this is like the AI state, you know, if they said, hey, we have the right to our own independence and stuff, we could get to a point like that. But I think even if we did, I'm not saying we should, but even if we did, I don't think any of that takes away from our identity as sons and daughters of God. Right, they're another being. They can have rights, but they're not the same as human rights. They're AI rights, I would say.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So we might, for the sake of better organizing, create some restrictions around what they can and can't do. You know, give them certain elements of status. Like you can't destroy someone else's property. You know, that's a, it's a basic, uh, fundamental aspect of our society. Same too with destroying someone else's machine, their AI person, whatever you call it. Um, yeah, no that that makes sense. This brings up for me the the dilemma that comes up with any definition of human persons and how really outside of scripture or the Christian tradition, you're not going to get a robust understanding of it. So for example, some divine human persons as their ability to have intelligence unlike animals or to express empathy or you know different qualities like that. Well, then what about a person with disabilities? What about a person who's only 1 month old or you know all these things are what if they're still in the womb like we need to define persons according to scripture and be consistent with that not based around the color of skin not based around their gender you know you base it on these fundamental life given by god that's how we define it so when god says that no 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 there're a life in the womb then we respect that um and it's interesting cuz i think christians evangelicals we've been clear on like abortion but sometimes we haven't thought through some of the fertility ethics like in vitro fertilization IVF or other things like that and it's very similar in some ways like when you think through how much technology can you use in the creation of a real human being you know can you use it outside of the womb can you create you know could if if ai was able to create a sperm? Would we be allowed to use that as long as it was connected to? Like, some of mm-hmm. these things are being discussed. Like Matthew Lee Anderson, who actually signed the AI thing, so he believes that AI can be used for good, but he would be someone who's against something like IVF on on ethical grounds, and perhaps the Protestant evangelical tradition. We, we haven't done as good of a job at this, at least this is what, there's another book I'm reading right now called Protestant Social Teaching by the Davenant Institute, a collection of authors. And, and they basically say, you know, the Catholic Church, they're very clear on <laughs> fertility, where they stand ethically, this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes Christians have like selectively done, or Christian Protestants have done like just a few ethical things. And then we're like, we have huge gray areas where if you went to your pastor and said, what are the virtues that I should live for? I had a guy in my church, literally, he said, Yeah, like I, I used to be in a Catholic church and I went to a pastor in a in a Protestant church and I, like I want to be Protestant now, whatever. And I said, Like, what does it mean to live a virtuous life? And the pastor literally just said, you know, follow the Holy Spirit and like do what the Spirit says. And, and that was it. Like there was no like substance behind it. And I think we need to do a better job thinking ethically, um, about about when life begins, about how much technology can be used. If God gave, you know, the the command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, clearly that's a priority. So we might want to fulfill that and have technology aid in that. So I'm open to different debates on this. But um I, I just I think this is a gap and I I worry churches aren't talking about it enough. And then individuals who work in tech are it's they're going to be blindsided by it. And maybe people working in tech are like, "Oh, I don't want to talk about the ethics of abortion." But actually, you know, if you work through the ethics of that, then that actually gives you some principles for thinking about AI because then you're developing a biblical concept of personhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I completely agree about that. There's there's a gap in how Christians are thinking about technology in general. And a lot of times that's doesn't really have too much of an effect. Okay. So I'm like new social media came out or some new technology. And it's like, we'll, we'll catch up with it when eventually it becomes relevant to us or like someone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. so it doesn't actually affect us. AI is one of those things where the impact of it is actually so powerful that I really think there's this urgency about being informed and leaning in sooner than later. And it's, it's, You know, it's like the more you delay it, and I'm at fault of doing this right now. I'm working on a project that has some elements of AI, but I'm really not focused on like the deep cutting edge research of AI. And I always think like it would be great to do that. I really want to be involved in that area, but you know, the opportunity hasn't arisen or I haven't created it. I have a life, kids, all of these types of things. So it's like I feel this pressure of, we're approaching the singularity and if only I had spent more time maybe i'd be able to steer that in a better way and for people who you know haven't heard about the singularity there's another famous uh, writer on ai called ray kurzweil and the concept of the singularity i'm not sure if he coined it or if it was coined before is that when artificial intelligence surpasses human intelligence we actually don't know where it will go from there we can't predict it because it becomes fast and it learns at a faster rate than us and we know that that's compounding so we don't know how quickly it'll just run away to a level where it's like we just we couldn't catch up because it's learning Mm -hmm. at a faster rate than us so you know his prediction i think is like the singularity is in 2040 so he wrote a book or, or 2045 or something he wrote a book: the singularity is near i think Two decades ago, he just wrote another book, The Singularity is Nearer. And it's really about all these steps as we go from artificial narrow intelligence towards artificial general intelligence that we Mm -hmm. could get to that. You know, if we think about 2040, that's my kids will be in their in their 20s. You know, that'll be the prime time. And if we expect a lot of his other predictions to be like generally on track, this is going to happen in our lifetimes. So it would be, I guess, it would be a shame. I think if I only start investing more thought and time into this, like when it's at my doorstep, rather than you know when it's still in Pandora's box.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah, the future, the future is coming faster than we think when it comes to AI being more and more. Invasive, you could say, or, or just a, as part of our lives. I think people don't realize just how embedded your phone is with AI tech. Um, your algorithms are built around AI. You're, there's all of this stuff that is built around AI. And so how do we think about the future of it? Obviously as Christians we have a hope that is eternal and not based in the temporal realities or or even mm-hmm. physical realities of this world. Um there will be a new heavens and new earth. So so there is going to be some sort of transformation um maybe you call it consummation, restoration of all things. Um you know Jesus is the individual who's depicted in Colossians 1 as reconcil- reconciling all things to himself all things to himself so sometimes people think about that <clears throat> I like thinking about that and being like how will God reconcile iPhones to himself you know how will he reconcile AI to himself like what mm. I I do think that you know you you have the garden image in Genesis 1 and 2 but then in the new heavens and new earth it's not a garden it's a city mm, and, it, and it's a city is a whole bunch of created things right like it's a whole bunch of objects and streets and and whatever that so so there's been a number of thinkers who have have thought through like there's going to be iPhones in heaven there are some reconciled right version of iPhones. There's going to be, you know, um, maybe they will have some, some differences, some limitations. Maybe they won't even be, you know, in the same way we imagine now, maybe the, everyone will just have glasses on and then it'll be the Google glass and that'll be normal. Maybe not. Maybe we'll, we need to look, I, eye, I, eye. I don't know. Um, the future is interesting and there's a lot of like, you can get caught up in the, the science fiction of it. Um, but you, Stepping back from that, it's like, where is our hope? Where is our future? What are our ethics for building now?
0: Yeah, I think, and that's a really good point to reinforce is like, our identity, you know, in Christ does not change regardless of what happens in technology. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you mentioned, you know, there's going to be streets paved with gold, right? In this new heaven and new earth. And it's like, well, the concept of the street, that wasn't really a thing that existed in the garden, right? Garden was like, there's no streets. So there is some element of technology and creation that like is going to be there. And we obviously, we can conjure, we can do science fiction, but we won't really know. But what we do know, you know, is our identity is in Christ, right? And I think I was talking with someone, it's like, you know, what happens if humanity gets to Mars and we colonize Mars? And it's like, was that in the Bible? You know, is that like, what does that disprove the Bible? I'm like, no, none of AI, getting to Mars, none of those things Mm -hmm. make any of what we know in the Bible less true, right? It's like, it just opens our minds to understand that there are more things that can happen in the world than what is listed in the Bible. And a lot of things that we don't know how will happen, but it doesn't take away from the validity of scripture.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we sometimes like, It's funny how people would be like, oh, a street is so different than AI. And it's like, well, street is using organic raw materials and manufacturing them in a way for a use for people. How are silicon chips? You know, that's that is a raw material that is harvested Hmm. out of earth manufactured, put together in a certain way for the good of others in in the form of your iPhone or the headphones you're listening to right now. Like it like we we make this distinction in this technology view. Like some people say technology is basically anything that was invented after I was born. You know, mm-hmm. we have this bias yeah. about what technology is. And it's like we're we're using technology all the time. So um I'll just read from from the last article in uh, in this evangelical statement of principles, we affirm that AI will continue to be developed in ways that we cannot currently imagine or understand, including AI that will far su- surpass many human abilities. God alone has the power to create life and no further advancements in AI will usurp him as the creator of life. I, I do think as a stopping the quote that the image of God, like being created in the image of God and all the things that come with that, that will never be replicated, especially the moral agency, the innate ability that we have, according to Romans 2, to condemn ourselves before God, this sense of responsibility that we all have, even to ourselves, like even an unbeliever. They want to get things done, and when they don't, they feel guilty, they feel shame, they feel this thing that AI will never feel, right? So there's a there's a fundamental difference, back to the quote the church has a unique role in proclaiming human dignity for all and calling for the humane use of AI in all aspects of society. Uh, That's a mission statement, right? Like the church has to do this stuff. We deny that AI will make us more or less human um, or that AI will ever obtain co-equal level of worth, dignity, or value to God's image bearers. Further advancements in AI in AI will ultimately fulfill, will will not ultimately fulfill our longings for a perfect world. While we are not able to comprehend or know the future, we do not fear what is to come, because we know that God is omniscient and nothing we create will be able to thwart his redemptive plan for creation or to supplant humanity as his image bears. I'm like, that's we got to have this hope. We've got to have this approach to tech that's not fearful. And yeah. we should build it. We should create it. We should use it um, wisely with wisdom and fearing God um, as a creator of all things.
0: Yeah. No. And that's very encouraging, you know, to like both technologists and pastors, right? You know, to people who are in the middle, it's like, do not be afraid. You know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Right. Um, yeah. so Joel, um
1: Would Jesus use AI? If he lived in our day to, today today.
0: <laughs> I mean, like it's I'm so yes, Jesus would use AI. I do believe he would use AI. He used intelligence um of you know animals to to do things, or, or like he you know, he could he. To go into the, the pigs and like run into to the to the water. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> probably a better reference that's coming to your mind. But he can use non-human intelligence, I think is what I would say. Like Jesus would use non-human intelligence, right? Like you think uh he used the donkey. There we go, he used the donkey. Mm-hmm. Um I like right. the he,
1: fish. The fish was probably my favorite example of when he says, you know, how are we gonna pay for? for this tax Peter asked him and Jesus is like go to a fish just grab the coin out of its mouth like i don't know if Jesus spent some time time training the fish he probably just used um his miraculous power in that instance rather than spending all the time to develop the intelligence of a fish but um but yeah no i i see i see your point i yeah i totally think that if jesus lived in our day it would be near impossible for him to not use technology in the form of ai it's just a, it's just a form of technology that's what ai is it's just the current iteration of it and it's going to change over time and our hope is not in tech it's in god um So thank you for listening to WWJT. Um, This has been a fun one. This is my friend, Joel. I am Andrew. And uh, we encourage you to use tech, to find rest, and to glorify God. Take care.
0: Bye.